Hello, and welcome to Our Savior's Lutheran Church Sermons. I'm Pastor Joshua Curtinback. Thank you for joining us as we remember the festival of St. James the Elder, the Apostle of our Lord. The Gospel reading for this festival comes from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 10th chapter. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink? And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Shortly before our Gospel reading, not too long ago, our Lord Jesus Christ was transfigured. And this was witnessed by his disciples' journey to Jerusalem, the place where he would be crucified for the sins of the world. By now, he had already told his disciples that when they go to Jerusalem, he will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. They'll condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They'll mock him, spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. He had also recently told his disciples that in the new world they will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The disciples did not quite understand what the Lord was telling them when he spoke about his passion, and so they focused on these words from Jesus, the promise of glory for following him. From this, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, who were part of the inner three of those who witnessed the transfiguration, the healing of Jairus' daughter, and other miracles, came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And what do they ask? Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. In asking this, the two disciples warn us by a negative example of pride and impatience. Their questions focused on themselves, on their own glory on raising themselves up to the important positions of sitting at the right and left hand of the Lord. They already could see that they experienced things that other disciples did not, and now they wanted to raise themselves up above the rest even further, to rise up above Peter, the other member of the inner three. Such pride, even among the Lord's closest disciples, warns us always to be wary of raising ourselves and putting ourselves above others thinking of ourselves as more important or worthy. Yet their question also displayed impatience, for they, along with the other ten, had been promised in the new world to sit on twelve thrones. That was far off. They desired the promise to come sooner rather than later. 
For Jesus had spoken about how when he goes to Jerusalem, he would be coming into his glory. Why not now, they thought. If he comes into his glory before the new heavens and the new earth, let us then sit at his right hand. They asked for it to be sooner rather than later, to be beside him when he comes into his glory. And we can recognize that in ourselves, too. We can fall into the desire of wanting the Lord to move in our time, our schedule. We desire that the promises he has for us in the new heavens and the new earth would come to us now, or at least soon. The promises of health, of glory, of leisure, and rest. We would much rather avoid the suffering, the cross, and the trial which comes first, and instead go straight to the consolation. We find this in ourselves when we pray for our own will to be done, rather than his will. When we find ourselves saying, Lord, do this for me, rather than, Lord, if it is your will. This impatience ultimately comes from pride, because it desires that our will be done, rather than the Lord's. But our Lord is ever gracious, and he is charitable in his answer to his dear disciples James and John. Jesus said, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? He does not grant them their request. They don't know what they're talking about. Even though they say that they can indeed drink the cup and be baptized with this baptism, they don't know what he's talking about. In the Old Testament, the cup is often used as a symbol of God's wrath over sin. In Psalm 75, it says, For, the hand of the Lord, for in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drink it down to the dregs. And to Jeremiah, he says, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath, and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. The cup which our Lord here speaks of is his cup of suffering, the cup of God's wrath over which, over sin which he will drink down to the dregs as he suffers in our place on the cross. For he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed, says Isaiah. The baptism which he speaks of is a symbolic one, and by it he means death. For the cross, for on the cross he was baptized with the baptism of death, dying even though he was without sin, in the place of sinners. And this suffering and this death are unique among all humanity. For it is by his suffering and death alone that we are saved. It is by faith in him who died for us that we are justified. His death brings us the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. No one else's suffering, no one else's death, Neither ours nor anyone else can do this. Yet Jesus says to James and John, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. And they would suffer for Jesus' sake. They would face trial and tribulation and persecution. But first, Jesus must die for them. He must give his life for them. Indeed, James would give up his own life for preaching the gospel of Christ, the crucified one. For Herod, seeking to appease those influential in his kingdom, persecuted the church. And he had James the elder, the apostle of our Lord, put to death by the sword, making him the first apostle to die for the Lord. Surely, James took comfort in these words from the Lord when he saw his executioner. Surely the Holy Spirit gave him the grace and the strength of faith to say, Yes, Lord, I am able to drink this cup when faced with the cup of martyrdom. And all Christians, because we are Christians, because we are in Christ and have been made one with him, must likewise drink 
of our own cups which the Lord presents to us. We must all face trial and tribulation in this life because we're in Christ. The world, unbelievers, hate Christ. And so ultimately, they hate us. And as a result, we share in his suffering. And the Lord uses this to prepare us for the weight of glory in the life to come as we are conformed to the image of his Son. This suffering, these trials, are difficult, but we need not fear them, for the Lord knows how best to care for we whom he has predestined, called, and justified. Even in trial and tribulation, he is working through it for our ultimate good. We have been baptized into Christ, we have been baptized into his death, and if we have shared in a death like his, we shall surely share in a resurrection like his. James and John's request is rejected because Jesus' glory is his saving work on the cross. He alone must suffer and die for the sins of the world, including those of James and John, including our own sins of pride and impatience and all others. And so, the places on his right hand and his left have been reserved already for two criminals, in order that God alone in Christ Jesus is glorified in this saving work. The cross glorifies God because there he is saving the world. This is Jesus' glory, because by giving his life as an offering for sin, he brings salvation to all who believe in him. God is glorified by his saving acts, and this is his saving acts to which all others in the Old Testament point, the salvation of the world by the death of Jesus, salvation from the enemies of sin, death, and the devil, salvation that lasts not only for a time, but to eternity. But this answer from Jesus did not satisfy the rest of the disciples. They were indignant at the boldness of the question of James and John. How could they ask such a question before we thought of it first? How could they try to secure these places of honor for themselves when we also desire them? The ten were indignant because they too desired these places of honor. They apparently so soon forgot the lesson of our Lord who placed a little child in the midst of them and said that they must become like little children, that is humble, and trusting in Jesus rather than fighting for rank. But their pride persisted. Let this serve as a warning, brothers and sisters, that pride is always lurking within our sinful nature, always seeking to find a way to express itself, to exert itself. For pride was ultimately the sin of our first parents, who put their own will first and desired to become like God, as the serpent said. And pride has continued to manifest itself in the children of our first parents, for all of us are stained by original sin. Pride seeks always to serve the self, to benefit the self, often, but not always, at the expense of others. Pride says, look out for number one, and the ends justify the means when it comes to getting what I want. Pride exalts itself, putting itself before others and above others. It takes the gifts of God, even being called a disciple of Jesus, and makes it into an accomplishment or something to boast of. But knowing how the ten were feeling, our Lord called the disciples to himself in order to make clear his ways and the ways of those who follow him. You know, he said, that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever will be great among you must be your servant, and whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Lord Jesus, the Son of God incarnate, God in human flesh, the creator of the universe, to whom all worship and service is owed, tells the disciples that he did not come to be served, but to serve. 
He came in humility, being conceived, being born, growing up, and living a humble life where he had nowhere to lay his head. He came in order to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to serve by giving his life in our place, giving up his life of his own accord in order to make an offering for sin, so he could destroy the power of sin, death, and the devil. Those who have faith in him receive these benefits that he won and are liberated from the power of sin, from eternal death, and from the realm of the devil. The Lord Jesus continues to serve us in the Holy Supper, where he gives us his body and blood which he offered up on the cross, so that those who are repentant and receive him with faith are forgiven and enabled constantly to serve him as we are strengthened in our new life, in our new life which we have now by virtue of our baptism and union with Christ by faith which we will fully experience in the new heavens and the new earth. And if our Lord did all this to save us, coming not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, being obedient to the Father to the point of death, even death on the cross, then we too ought to follow his example. For he saved us and freed us from the power of sin, from the hold it has on our lives, so that we may follow him by lives of humble service so that rather than obeying our sinful desires which wish us to serve ourselves, we are able to, because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, obey him by serving our neighbors in love. What this service looks like is shaped by the Ten Commandments and our vocations, but what it has in common for all of us is that it is done out of love for our neighbor and love for our Savior, because it puts the needs and concerns of others first thinking of what is best for them and their life and salvation rather than our own. For that is how our own Lord lived when he came in order to save us. May God grant this to us all, whom he has ransomed through his Son, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us today as we remember the Lord's Apostle, St. James the Elder, and as we remember what our Lord has done for us. Now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.